Other than the countdown, that's very anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's talking about news at BHIS, and I am the guy with the mic this morning. Or this morning, man, I am. It's, it's it's tech is hard. What were we saying, Tim? Tech is hard. See you next week. That's the entire. See you, there, there we go. That's our show. See you next week. So, no, that's not the show. But uh, it is me right now because the the mighty John and the amazing Ralph are not here right now. So, I am the now senior host person. But I've got Tim with me, and I've got Ben with me, and they're the experts on hacking things and infosec things and that stuff. So I'm going to defer to them on some of the stories that we've got this week. There is some fun stories, and uh, including a, I guess, a follow-up from the big hoo-ha-ha that happened while we were on the air last week. It was the end of the facebook aftermath and then oh, now a week later we've got a story if i can bring up my screen and then go to it more details about the october 4th outage from facebook did either of you two guys read into this find anything interesting um yeah i saw it on um i guess it was on tuesday uh when they posted it none of it really came as a surprise to me based off of experiences that i've had and understanding kind of how their infrastructure is set up and things like that i did find it kind of ironic at just how much of their infrastructure was relying on internal dns and things like that such as their badge access system but ultimately at the end of the day it's an audit tool failed and was supposed to catch what 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 commands were issued and not allow it and that's that's always kind of the worst case scenario in, in that case is because they've got controls in place supposedly to mm -hmm. prevent this type of stuff and the control failed um, and it failed in one of the most public way possible. <laughs> yeah, there were some pretty yeah. hilarious anecdotes going around about like, I think the funniest one I saw was someone busting out an angle grinder to actually get into the. The physically access the infrastructure that they needed to, to update configs on just because so much relied on, like you said, those internal DNS systems and, you know, using Facebook as a form of authentication as well. Well, and also if you look at, you know, they had the separation of duties and things like that. The actual, you know, uh, hands-on keyboards, people pushing configurations aren't in the data centers. They don't, they mm -hmm. may have actually stepped foot in a data center and they don't have access to the data centers and stuff. So you had non-technical people the what I call the rack and stack people that they they don't have the authorization, yeah. uh, even though they have the physical access to the buildings and stuff. So I mean, it definitely was a perfect storm for them, and it'd be one of those situations that it, it'll be in a textbook for years to come, as you know uh, how a cascade of, I mean, a single failure cascaded just down and propagated itself through the the literally the entire company and the worldwide infrastructure. Um, I definitely, having done some both data center work, DevOps work, and things like that, it was, I just felt bad. Like, I felt, I don't have any friends that work at Facebook that I know of, but I, I felt bad for that entire 
organization as far as on the technical side because they're just they had to just be just scratching their head going what do we do yeah i mean i i also don't know anyone that works there but i can't imagine that that was a fun i don't know 48 72 hours of just first of all trying to figure out what was going on then how to possibly fix it and then you know it's bad if like the final solution ends up being like physical access being required to to get to something to like either flip a switch or i mean that's like jurassic park level you know disaster really recovery was. where you got to go downstairs and prime a prime a pump and hit a switch with raptors all around you <laughs> to get things back up online you know yeah no and that's what, i mean that's i actually haven't heard that analogy but that's that's about the best <laughs> i can think of it i mean it's just and, and the thing about it is you know there was engineers there that they figured out very quickly what was going on and there was nothing they could do about it yeah because like i mean i just i ha- i was kind of joking with a friend I was like, you got to imagine the guy that pushed that configuration. He's like, and enter, went out the building to grab a smoke. And then he can't even get back into the building. And it just slowly starts to set in what might have just happened. You know, but it's just like, it's, I've been in a situation uh, with an infrastructure failure, not to that ex- extent or anything like that. But it's just that helplessness of, I, what do you do? Yeah, no, that's that's terrifying. I I worked in bars in a lifetime ago, and I feel like I used to have a lot of dreams about being under fire at a, at a you know at a bar or restaurant, just unable to like deal with the onslaught of tickets and customers and tables. And I feel like having those types of dreams about like infrastructure just dying and you not being able to like do anything about it is probably like a pretty comparable analogy that stresses me out to think about. To be honest, yeah. Completely, completely agree. And it's, I mean, going from my past experience, it's just like, there's this pit in my stomach of going, I didn't even experience, you know, even 2% of that. And it was just like, and instead of an audience of like, you know, what, 3.6 billion people, mine was like 200 people. Um, But even then, you know, so it's just, uh, obviously, they've been able to do a root cause analysis on it. They understand what's going on. Um, I would be interested to see if, you know, if they ever come back out and go, here's some of the things that we changed um, in the, in this process and stuff like that. Because one of the concerns that I had immediately once I was aware of what was going on was, you know, the fact that Facebook is the authentication source for so many services. And things. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really impacted by that, but I, I never really could get a, a, a pulse on what, you know, how those services were being impacted and stuff. And, you know, imagine if, you know, if if Facebook can do this, if they can have an issue like that, what happens if something like AWS mm-hmm. or Azure or, you know, any of the Microsoft services and stuff like it's just, I think this is one of those incidents where it just shows that nobody's too big to fail. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think the, the timing of it in relation to, you know, those judiciary hearings about like whatever's been going on in general. Like I think this type of failure and like the broad reaching impact that it has really just demonstrates like how ubiquitous these services are, right? Like you're talking about using Facebook as a form of authentication and you talk about like umbrella, other umbrella companies like Instagram and like what happens to content creators that, you know, rely on tools like this for, for their own livelihood. And, um, I think it makes a really strong case that it it does appear to be like 
you know, one thing goes down and the impact is just so much greater than you, you possibly could have like tabletopped or imagined it potentially being, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had some friends that uh, they are small business owners and their entire revenue stream is tied up in uh, Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. Like they have a storefront presence online, but it is all the traffic, all of the uh, interaction is through these platforms. And so they're like, what do we do? Like we cannot function. You know, they, they're when your primary source of communicating with your customers is through Facebook messenger um, and things like that, you know, it's, it, it definitely had, was one of those things that there's going to be, I would hope be some interesting case studies of like, these were not all, obviously they were the unintended side effects, but like, these were the ones that just like, you didn't really even think about, but it, it actually potentially hit small people's bottom line. Yeah. That's a good point. I, it, I think it's deeply terrifying as what it is. And like the more you rely on these big names and the more that these big tech giants gobble up anything that they view as some form of, of competition in the space. And then, you know, when they encounter outages, those, what could have been viable alternatives to their product or services also suffer those same outages. It kind of, I would say, ultimately makes the world a slightly less secure place, but that's also probably a conversation for a different time. On that note, we didn't really talk about the Twitch stuff last week, did we? Yeah, because that happened That happened uh, public, uh, right after yeah. the day. After, I mean, I know so. the memes have been like October Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Someone posted it in chat to Advent Calendar of breaches and exposures. but um. Yeah, the Twitch ones seem seem bad too. I, people were posting like revenue payout numbers for like top content creators and streamers. I think internal red team tooling got leaked from the, from the Twitch the Twitch side of things as well as like their whole repo of source code for the application. So, I think as far as the severity of potential security incidents go, the the impact of this one is is probably as high as it could be. Yeah, the the biggest thing I took away from this was that I'm in the wrong <laughs> industry. Um, streaming, I mean, I understand I have a face for radio, but good lord, some of the figures that these streamers are making is just absolutely insane. But at the same time, kudos to them. Like that's it's it's awesome that, uh, especially as growing up, like this was an mm-hmm. option uh, as a career, or anything for for myself, and and I'm sure you as well. And so for to to see this new, you know, kind of career path and thing, I, I think is really cool. But some of those numbers were just absolutely staggering. And as you and I were talking about prior to, to going live was, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was that according to the leaks is this was part one. Now, um, it could be, you know, a la Mel Brooks style history of the world part one, and there is no part two. But it it does, you know, nobody really ever that I'm aware of came out and said no password data or anything like that was compromised and stuff. And so hopefully that's not the case because I don't think Twitch has communicated to end users. Uh, I believe they've had communications with some of their channel partners and things like that to uh, reset streaming keys and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, it's like, is there more to come? Because this is, this is a, in my opinion, this is a complete and utter ownage. Uh, for Twitch to to have the source code full commit history, uh, I mean, even like what does this do for Amazon? What is it? Amazon, um, the the Steam competitor. Um, I forgot what they called it. Um, starts with a V, but like it hasn't even really been announced or anything like that. Like source code for that. 
entire like unity libraries uh, it's i mean there's so much stuff in this that it, i would i mean i would never go through it and all but man that's it's that's a yeah i mean you were time. talking about porn why not for the facebook you know site reliability engineers and people to deal with that but like i would imagine this is this is just as bad if not worse right i mean there wasn't a denial of service scenario created with like any of twitch's you know streams or anything like that but woof and also you think about like i'm sure those revenue numbers aren't nearly like full and complete pictures of you know whatever separate standalone sponsorship ads or you know anything like that that these streamers might have in place so i would imagine like this is you know even still like a partial amount of like what that revenue looks like but yeah a lot of interesting tools i think came out of that a lot of stuff written in go which is kind of cool i saw one that was like automating scraping gits for like hard-coded credentials and other like cryptographic data and stuff that was kind of fascinating so i think with the, like the implied security posture from from the tooling that got leaked you know would lead me to believe that they had a pretty robust and mature security program so seeing something like this happen obviously just kind of makes you wonder like what's the root cause and how can they try and prevent it in the future but i don't think we've heard anything on that front yet yeah i i don't think i have either you know and here again the one thing to remember um, even going back to the Facebook discussion is this is an mm -hmm. Amazon company. And, and so you, you know, while people are looking at, Oh, it's, you know, twitch.tv got pwned. No part of Amazon and their portfolio got owned. And it just goes to show that like, it's been, you and I are going to have jobs for a long time. Let's just put it that all of this is, uh, you know, job security and things like that, but it just, it just shows how complex and how difficult it is to really secure uh, organizations at any size. You know, it doesn't really matter the scale. Um, it's yeah, absolutely. And I, people always talk about like human beings as being the weakest link in a security program, but like, I'm, I'm really kind of curious what sorts of just like the, the, the attack kill chain of this of this breach at Twitch, like what must have happened for, you know, internal tooling and preventative controls and processes and all of these sorts of, you know, defense in depth mitigations and, you know, security functions to really just basically not matter. You know, if the entirety of your organization just has gotten dumped under the internet, it's not necessarily one or two failings, but I would I would imagine a series of them. So that'll be interesting to see what, what that looks like at some point. Yeah, I, I do, I'm curious if they actually ever come out and say what that is, because um, that's one of the one of the tough things about this industry is that unless our hand is forced by regulatory or just public pressure or things like that, we try to keep everything under under wraps mm -hmm. as much as possible. We don't, you know, it's bad enough that we have to admit that we got breached and things like that publicly, but we don't want to show our hand as to where deficiencies were and things like that for, because it's embarrassing, it's egg on our face and stuff like that. But it also makes it really difficult for us to learn and improve as an industry, unless, you know, you are privy to that yeah. information. You know, I'm assuming that they had an incident response company come in a third party as well as their own internal stuff. And there'll probably be some stuff coming out at some point in time, but how watered down, how redacted is it? Is it something that we're actually going to be able to go like, no, this is, this is something that we can apply to the industry because I'm, I'm guessing you're right that it was a, a cascade. It's kind of a, a Swiss cheese and that, you know, they had enough controls in place, but there just happens to be enough gaps uh, within those controls that it, things were able to trickle through and go unnoticed for, you know, 
for yeah. this to take place. But hope, hopefully we're able to learn from it. And, and you know, that's I, I would love for us to get to a point in our industry where we can go, yes, we got breached. It's unfortunate and things like that. Here's how it happened. Here's some of the steps that we've taken to mitigate this in the future and things like that. But it's just not it's not very commonplace to do that because it's, we just want to sweep it under the rug as much. Yeah. I I think you're right. I'm sure there's some sort of like heavily redacted scrubbed, you know, trade craft that'll come out at some point about what happened. And I'm sure there are probably like five eyes level threat Intel sharing groups that have more of a, more visibility into what played out, but. Oh, no doubt. But how does that help? Uh, a lot of the organizations yeah, or small we mom with. and pop medium businesses um, and things like that, that don't have the resources or the money to, to be parts of those programs. And I mean, we've all been on those pen tests where you, you feel like you're stuck for five out of six days. And then like at the, the 12th hour of that fifth day, you find that one loophole and then it's kind of game over from there. I do kind of wonder what that looks like in an organization like this and an Amazon subsidiary. And like, if there are lessons to be learned from that, that, that could be shared amongst other similar types of companies. I agree. You know, and uh, somebody in chat asked, you know, wouldn't it be better for them to say how they got breached? In my opinion, yes, but I'm also <laughs> not a lawyer. And uh, having dealt on the incident response side of things before, everything starts and ends with yep. the lawyers. And so, you know, when you've got a company the size of Amazon and with the resources and stuff, they're not going to put anything out there that they absolutely don't have to. Um, and and I, this is probably me being a little cynical, but if they do put something out there of, uh, oh, this is a good faith measure, I'm not going to buy it at all. Like, I, I think that they will, ha- when it's all said and done, they will have a lot of information that they could share with the community and the lawyers are going to shut that down um, for whatever reasons. And that's fine, you know, it, but it does make it difficult because, you know, I I truly believe that I would much rather learn from someone else's mistakes than make them myself. And so if we can prevent other organizations uh, from making that, those similar mistakes. And here again, I'm just guessing. I don't, I don't have any inside information that the one they're trying to prevent potentially like class action lawsuits and stuff for information. I mean, you've got, you've got entire people or people's entire streaming revenue just out there publicly like that's their personal finances and things like that that's i don't know what the the legal (laughs) ramifications for that and stuff like that you know the other thing is you you know you have public just a public trust thing you know i don't i don't know that they had a mat they're gonna have a mass exodus they most people probably don't care the people that did care just got mad that their favorite streamer is making seven figures sitting behind their computer desk or something like that and so there's a lot of jealousy, but I, like, I don't know what the justification for not sharing it is. It's just, it does tend to be a trend in, in, in our industry that we just share as little as possible. And it's, if they do share, it's going to be super redacted or, and to the point that you're not going to really be able to decipher anything that we don't know. Right I now. think a lot of it is, like you said, there's the lawyers get involved and there's like a CYA mentality and there is like a public reputation that you want to uphold. But I also think that like, operating under the assumption that like it's not if you're going to get breached it's when you're going to get breached and just having a little bit more empathy for these companies that go through these things instead of pretending like oh this will never happen to us like you know our our security maturity is so much better and stronger and our programs are more in depth and you know like having that empathy that this really can happen to anyone you know that i'm glad you said that because 
spending time on Monday, especially Monday with uh, last Monday with uh, the Facebook stuff, and then following it up on Tuesday with the Twitter, the the complete lack of empathy within the community was kind yeah. of depressing. Um, there was definitely some vocal ones that were saying, up was like, Hey, we need to, we need to back off this. And there was a lot of jokes being made and things at everybody's expense, you know, dev oops. But, you know, having understand it, like I I'm fortunate in my career that I have uh, been able to work on some of the incident response side. I have worked on obviously the penetration testing, red teaming side, you know, the offensive side of things like that. But I've also been internal to companies and I've been privy to when things go wrong and stuff. And so it's, for me, it's like, it's easy to have that empathy, that compassion going, yeah, this really stinks. Yeah. You guys really screwed up, but that doesn't matter in this moment. The moment it, it, you know, you need to be able to recover as fast as possible, get control of the situation and, you know, and then you can pick it apart, do your lessons learned, your after your root cause analysis and things like that. But having that empathy, man, it's, you know, I, I don't, I never enjoyed incident response when I was working in it because to me it was just, just so stressful and everything's just, you got <laughs> different people, lawyers bearing down on you all the time and stuff. And so the, the people that are on these front lines and stuff like, yeah, like it's, it's easy for us to pick them apart and being like going as like, man, what a colossal failure. Can't believe this happened and stuff like that. But the reality is, most organizations out there are one bad day away from having the same kind of news yeah. publicity and things like that. And we don't like to look at it like that. But the, the reality is, as we've said, tech is hard. Tune in next week. No, but it's, you know, and security is hard. Um, there's a lot of complexities. You've got the people, the processes, the technologies, and those have to work together in a way that A, allows the business to operate but B provides the absolute most coverage possible. And it's different for every organization. Um, there's not a, you know, silver bullet uh, for information security and, and the empathy that we can have in this community can go. Oh, for way. sure. And I, I, I'll share like a fun personal example. That's probably like pretty embarrassing, but um, a few years ago when I first started using a password manager and like arbitrary random passwords for every service and stuff like that, I'd swapped everything over, but, one of the things that I didn't swap over because it just slipped through the cracks or what have you was Spotify. It might've even been that I signed up for Spotify with Facebook and then had gotten rid of my Facebook. So like it was, it was harder to find a password reset function for Spotify, but someone hacked into my Spotify and by hacked into my, my Spotify, I mean, they just got onto it and like played a bunch of music for an hour until I realized and reset the password. But, um, that's something I haven't shared with a lot of people, given what we do. And I was like, "Damn, it got me." But uh, you know, it really, it really does happen to everyone. It can happen to everyone. So I, I think you're right. It, it does. It does. I mean, I, you know, so I guess I, it's about, I don't know, about two months ago, I got an email uh, from Netflix that somebody had logged into Netflix account, and I'm like, "Well, that's odd. I don't think we've set up a new device and stuff." And then I look, and it's Malaysia, and I'm like. <laughs> all right great here we go so let's figure out what's going on Re- uh, admittedly it was not a super super complex password and it was one that i had shared with my family and that's why it wasn't and sure enough that one had and i knew known that it had been um in a uh a breach prior and so it you know it was netflix they didn't really care 
mostly still had it for my family and things like that. But, you know, I got the notification. So I logged in Netflix, looked at all what they set up a, a nice guest account and I could see everything that they had looked, uh, were watching and stuff like that. And so in my head, I'm like, well, I hope you enjoyed change the password, secured the account, move on. But like yeah. it happens like it's not it's you know, I knew that that password had been compromised and I just oh, forgot for to take sure. care of it, you know. Um, you know, and it, so we have, you know, using a service like, uh, uh, have I been pwned.com from, uh, Troy Hunt and stuff like these, we have fantastic resources, but even as security professionals, we mm-hmm. make mistakes. Like, have you ever been, have you ever <laughs> been fished? I've been getting a lot of them lately. Oh, I've got, I've been getting a ton. What's, what's funny is I've gotten some since the recent job change, um, which is interesting, but yeah, like there's. A few years ago, I uh, was I, I I got fished. Um, they didn't. They ended up not getting anything. But it's just like the the timing and the situation was just perfect. And I was like, you know. And as soon as it happened, I clicked the link. I'm like, this <laughs> you is know, this as soon as you click, you know. Done. Yeah, like like you know, it's it, you know, instead of buyer's yeah, remorse, you sure. have clicker's remorse and stuff like that. You know, but it happens because you know the you're never going to remove the human yeah. element of security. You know, we get, we just have to try to minimize that as much as possible. And also, you know, uh, understand, like, those things are going to happen. You need to have additional controls. If we're relying 100% mm-hmm. on humans, we're, oh, we're yeah. going to have problems. What else we got, Ryan? This SMS breach. I think, right, uh, Ryan, I think you're muted. No, I oh, can hear I you. Can't, we can't hear you, Ryan. Um, no. But that SMS breach was also deeply terrifying and we were talking about like cya language when it comes to like responsible disclosure for like security incidents and this was just like they they disclosed that they had been breached they had unknown attackers that had access to their systems for over five years or something like that i believe um and they were like but we don't think that text messages were were tampered with or viewed or intercepted it's like if you if you can't reasonably say i don't know if if someone is in your network for five years uh, i don't know if i trust you to say text messages weren't weren't affected you know what i mean like yeah well and it's interesting because you know always here again going going back to redacted or you know everything's going through a lawyer and stuff i always find it interesting when they say things like you know we do not believe or um you know we don't think that inform you know certain information was obtained and stuff like that and then you sit here and go as to your point yeah they were in there for five five years, five years is a lot of time like how much it's that is a lot of time, you know, and and while it's not uncommon for these breaches to take place and then be many years long and before they are detected and things like that, that's just it's that's hard to believe that if I'm in an environment <laughs> for five years, I better have I, everything. I do not know at um, all how the the technical stack of SMS texts work. I don't understand exactly, and you know what this company does in its entirety. Um, I'm not sure how those things are, are routed, what protocols look like, or anything. But I guarantee you that if I had access to that environment for five years, I would have been able to figure it out by then. And if not, <laughs> move along. <laughs> four four years will be my cutoff. If it, you know. If I if I'm in a network for four years and I haven't you know gotten I mean because other than potentially interfering you know playing man in the middle and actually rerouting stuff um, which would then allow you to uh-huh. potentially capture that data you know off uh, of the network there 
you know, what else are you, what else are you going after in that case? When that's, I mean, I don't know enough about the company and, and how they operate, but it's like, it is interesting. They gotta be going after it, the It's data. interesting to like, think of the idea of like SMS interception at this level for, for two-factor or multi-factor authentication. And I know we've seen a lot of stories about like SIM swapping and, and things like that, but this is kind of like the meta level of that. Um, and I think the, the wisdom to take away from that is like anytime you can use some sort of hardware-based multi-factor, whether that's like, you know, Google Authenticator or YubiKey or some other like extra device or code that's not SMS-based, the, the more secure you're probably going to be. Agreed. You know, one of the things in reading the article that it kind of was just mulling over in my head was like, okay, so I think it says something like they had like 300 or something different um operators that they routed for and things like that. So they had to notify each of those and stuff like that. And it, and it says that, you know, that there's no indication that text messages or other personal information were exposed and things like that. But it's like, what is, what is the trickle down responsibility of these disclosures? You know, let's, let's say hypothetically it comes out that the data, the, the text messages and things like that were compromised. You know, it's obviously they're, They've notified their operators, but how far down the chain does this trickle down to to the consumer or does it ever? I mean, yeah, it's going to be public. So like, you know, ours and advice and everybody mm-hmm. else is going to run their articles on these things. Um, I mean, there's there's a there's a line from the article, like, too, that says Cineverse has notified all affected customers where contractually required. Cineverse has also concluded that no additional action, including any further customer notification is required at this time. So I would say that that does sound like bare minimum CYA disclosure as far as like letting people know what happened. So what I hear is <laughs> lawyers were involved again. And, you know, that that bare minimum of what we're contractually obligated is. Yeah, they walk that line. They finesse it. Uh, it, it, it does. Well, it makes you, you know, think about it. Like how much of our lives is, is determined by the actual wording in a contract. Uh, whether it's a EULA or something else that's like, you know, no, this is the bare minimum that we have to do. And this is what we're going to do because we don't want to show our cards or, or, you know, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Jeff McJunga said uh, we did what our lawyers told us to do is not very reassuring. Um, no, it's not. It's, it, that's I mean, not in all change. fairness, I've, I've never read a EULA from beginning to end and I've signed and clicked through more than, more than I can count at this point in my life. So. You mean you didn't spend 23 days reading? No, I, I remember seeing that art project about someone who printed out um, every word from the iTunes EULA, or maybe it was the iPhone EULA or something, and like bound them as a book, and it was like 1,200 so pages or something like that. Yeah, it's I, uh, about the only ones that I actually read, like Terms of Service or anything like that. I do get a joy out of reading some of the open source mm. uh, tooling, the uh, Social Engineering Toolkit, Dave Kennedy's. Uh, one of his projects, whereas, you know, you basically you owe him a beer For and sure. you see him. Stuff like that. You know, stuff like that's cool. But let's keep it under, you know, 10,000 lines maybe. And, and people might might be able to read it and things like that. But, yeah, it's uh, – they're never – I mean, as we said earlier, they're not going to disclose anything more than they have to. And that's going to be determined by the law. Yeah. I mean, there's the addendum that says um, there is no guarantee that they will not uncover further evidence of exfiltration at some point. So they kind of left the do- they left the door open. You can't uncover it if you don't yeah, exactly. have the logs. If you don't have the logs, you can't uncover it. What other topics do we have? 
I briefly glanced at this this article about K-12 school cybersecurity, which is kind of interesting. Cybersecurity recommendations and tools for schools to use to defend themselves against hackers. I think this is kind of an interesting idea. I'm not sure if legislation always fixes things like this, but I can imagine as someone who grew up in a relatively small town outside of a larger city that the way funding works for for small municipal classrooms and school districts and things like that, I would imagine that a lot of those there's a lot of fracture across a lot of those spaces. Um, probably not a whole lot of like required policies and frameworks that kind of are enforced universally. And I would imagine that some of those smaller schools might have less resources required to kind of really, you know, just enforce robust security. So I think any sort of approach where you're kind of trying to like get your hands around something that large at least feels well-intended and, and with good spirit. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of comes out of that. Yeah, I this is one of those initiatives that I feel like on paper, yeah, it it makes complete sense and we definitely should be doing it. The ex, every like everything government and everything public education, it really comes down to oh, execution. For sure. You know, Jeff makes a great point that, you know, funding is a per student, so I I grew up in a fairly rural area as well and things like that, so we would potentially be uh negatively impacted just because we don't have enough people to get the, you know, stuff. Uh, definitely being able to provide guidance and resources, I think, is something that would be uh, absolutely beneficial. You know, this is a little off topic, but one of the things that I would really like to see is that some kind of, I don't I don't want to use control or regulation or something, but one of the things that I've had great concerns with is, in my opinion, school districts and things like that overstepping their bounds in terms of, you know, protecting students' privacies and things, monitoring webcams, things when they're not on school networks and things like that. Being able to provide a more comprehensive oversight and guidance on, you know, what we can do. Because if we're really looking to protect the students, that's one of the first places we have to look is as what what are the we doing now? And what is the you know privacy implications for that to start with before we get to, you know, let's add more resources, more funding, more stuff like that, you know, is what we're doing now even sufficient? No, that's a good point. I mean, I think when everything first went remote last year, there were all those news stories about school Zooms getting hacked in air quotes. And I was like, was Zoom really hacked or did someone just deploy it without setting a password? someone else stumbled upon it you know what i mean so i think there probably is a lot of room in between these grand sweeping gestures of like legislation and like how are they actually like being implemented on a, on a school by school basis yeah i mean it, you know i know and when i was growing up we had essentially one system admin for the entire district now obviously the the networks and the things like that have gotten uh significantly more complicated and things like that but being you know at the end of the day you know, education is already resource constraint. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the solutions are, you know, techno technologically bound, are budgetary bound. Um, and so being able to implement things is, it's going to be tough, you know. And, and so I, I'm all for organizations, whether it's the government or things like that, being able to step in and help offer that guidance and resources and things like that. But it, it's... It, I don't there again, I don't think it's gonna be a one one size fits all. And I don't think that 
based off of history that it's actually going to be implemented in a way that's fair to especially those rural schools and things like that, which they're already typically at massive disadvantages from other aspects of educational stuff that if you're, you know, I look at all students fairly, look at them equally and, and try to implement it across the board. And I just think that's just going to be asking too. I mean, we've got, you got school districts that are in schools that are cutting arts and sports and things like that, just so they can keep paying their teachers and things like that. I don't know where security ever will fit into this discussion at the local level. So I, I don't know what the answer really is. Yeah, that's tough. And I think the attack surface is just so large. I mean, there are schools everywhere, you know, that's just like one of those universal things that exists yep. in almost every space and trying to find resources, both monetarily to be able to, to pay for those as well as the people required to effectively maintain and implement and, and run those programs is, is definitely a stretch. Yep. Hey, Ben, do you want to talk about the gift that keeps on giving? What is it? <laughs> ransomware. I don't think it's a news episode unless we talk about ransomware. Um, I think there's an, an article, um, Ryan, that uh, basically it kind of poses the question is, should companies be required to disclose that they paid a ransom? I mean, didn't that happen with Uber a few years ago, like four or five years ago, something like that, where they ended up paying hackers, but trying to like smuggle the payment in through something else? I, I I probably I I don't remember the the one that actually comes to mind most more recently would be Garmin. I think it was last year or 2019. I think it was 2020 where they got breached and with ransomware and it shut down significant amount of their their services and things like that. And uh, I think the ransom was upwards request was upwards of ten million dollars. And then I think magically by Monday or Tuesday, all their services were back operational and things like that, you know? And so it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, ransomware is not going away. That's, we had a discussion a few weeks ago about, uh, you know, governments trying to regulate like ransomware payments specifically in the crypto space and things like that. You know, I don't, I like, this is a, this is a complicated issue with, with a lot of facets and stuff. I, tend to be of the belief the more transparency the better but it also goes back to the same thing that we've been talking about that you know don't disclose anything more than you absolutely have to because of if you know if you're a publicly traded company you have certain obligations and things like that under the SEC that you may uh, need to disclose and stuff like that for your shareholders and stuff like that but small mom and pop organizations law firms that get hit and stuff, you know, depending on what their contractual agreements are, do do you have to come out and go, yep, we paid? Because it's it's kind of a two double headed monster. There is a we got hit, yeah, and B we paid. No, that's a good point. And there's a stigma around, you know, there's two stigmas right now. One, you got hit, shame on you. Well, I think we've discussed that. It's it's hard. Security's hard. Tech is hard. And B, that you should you pay, should you not pay? I mean, I'm of the belief that you sh if your systems have failed to the point your backup, your policies, your procedures, your disaster recovery, your business continuity, all that, let's you know, put all the SysP terms out there and stuff. If you you haven't planned appropriately and you can't recover your data, you pay. 
Because in most cases, it's the difference of your company shutting down or you yeah. getting to keep operating. I mean, it's not it's not the best I think, answer. I think you make a really good point but, about like minimal amount of information being shared as possible for some of these organizations. Like, like what if there was a a breach and ransomware involved, and that that you know that organization, their law team deemed that it wasn't of a sufficient impact or size or what have you to alert their customers or shareholders or whoever, and then this legislation gets passed and now they end up having to pay the ransom. And then there's like another additional lever getting, you know, forcing them to disclose that there was a breach that people may not have known about. But I do think, I think you're right. I think the more of this information exists, the more transparency that's out there, the less of a stigma there's going to be around it. I think ideally too, the, the more that this information can be studied and analyzed, like the more like trends can, can be drawn out of it, the more that like the transactions could potentially be traced and, you know, these, these operating groups might have like a little bit more scrutiny and just more evidence helping, you know, lawmakers or whoever to try and figure out who's, who's doing it and how best to kind of interrupt that. For me, it's, there's not a, a blanket. This is the right thing for the right situations. You know, um, if you, you know, from a ransomware perspective, most ransomware situations should a be most likely avoidable or B, should be able to be recovered in a uh, efficient time if you have the necessary people's process and technology in place. One of the things is, you know, having valid backups, backups that you've tested, backups that, that are offline that you know you can roll back. Yeah, you may lose a day or two or even a week's worth of data, depending on the scenario, and that could have massive financial impacts to you. And, you know, so, but you still have that capability. But, you know, what do you do in the situation where, okay, we are let us our last valid backup that we can roll back to safely was a week ago and it's rolling back. We're going to lose data that's valued at two million dollars for for whatever reason. And the ransom's one hundred thousand dollars. You pay. I'm probably paying yeah. it. I mean, I think it's it's kind of a weird space where like. I don't know if it's for movies or what, but you just kind of have that phrase of like never, never negotiating with terrorists or hostage takers. I don't know. I feel like there's like this almost machismo of like, oh, we don't negotiate, like what have you. But I, I think in intents and practices, like I think a lot of people pay. A lot of people just pay. It's just easier that way. Are we victim exactly. shaming? I mean, it's 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 shame on you. You got you got popped. Okay, yeah, I got popped, and it's it is a shame on me, but it doesn't do any good to, to rail on an organization for like, yeah, we, we screwed up and we, we have to pay, you know, I'm not sure who it was in chat made a comment. It's like, I'd be more interested in companies having to close that they disclose that they got hit by ransomware rather than whether they paid for or not. Um, and that's a good point is like, you know, does it really matter that they, if they paid for it or not, it's more, did they get hit? You know, um, and what what could the impact of that be for me as a consumer or something like that? You know, uh, in the Garmin uh, situation, I've been a, a, a avid Garmin user for for their uh, triathlon watches and multi sport watches and stuff. And like we couldn't sync data for a couple of days, and uh, in our world, it doesn't count unless it's on our Garmin and things like that. And so, it, like it it didn't actually hurt me. Or anything like that, but it was just kind of funny. It's like, oh, all these workouts and all these races, it just don't <laughs> count because Garmin doesn't have the data and stuff like that. But there are other times where, you know, services go down because of 
ransomware and things like that, where it actually does have a tangible financial impact on us as a consumers and things like that. And from that perspective, yeah. I want to know. I don't care. I, for me, I don't care whether you pay or not. I can justify it either way. The first thing I'm going to go, you should have had backups, but pay if you have to, you know, because it just goes to the, to the greater, you know, scope of like, this is, there's not a one size fits all that, you know, yeah, you, there's, there's the list of best practices. You should be doing things. If you want to secure your organization, start with the critical security controls and, and work through those systematically and stuff. But a lot of organizations weren't built that way. They weren't built with technology and security in mind and stuff like that. And we haven't done a good job of pulling them along for this process. And so while, yes, they're responsible and they it should have hopefully been prevented or they should be able to remediate against it pretty quickly, there again, I think we have to have a little empathy. It's okay to be critical uh, of an organization or, or something like that, but at the same time, we have to have that compassion, that empathy of going, you got to do uh -huh. what you got to do to to re to recover because at the end of the day as a consumer especially all i care is can i use your yeah. service it doesn't matter if it costs you 10 million dollars in bitcoin <laughs> or whatever arbitrary uh cryptocurrency that they're wanting to use i don't care is you know you've got insurance you got things like that i'm not worried about that actual monetary it's can you continue to provide me the service that i'm paying for or that i am accustomed to using and that's what i care more about so being able to having a situation where we're shaming companies for paying the ransom, I, I kind of got to, got to yeah. stop that. Um, and whether, whether they have, they should disclose it or not here again, I would prefer that they do transparency. We got owned, we paid for it. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things that you, the more you talk about it, the more people realize that it happens all around them all the time. And it's less of this like, hyper sensationalized you know news headline of someone getting hacked and more like just kind of a cost of doing business in a digital connected information focused world that we live in today i think another interesting point is we were kind of talking about schools and smaller communities lacking funding and resources and like the overlap of that with ransomware like you, i don't know how many like small municipalities you've seen get hit with that kind of stuff over the last couple of years but like then it it becomes less about like a capitalistic service being available for, for a consumer to use and more like people can't pay their electric bill for a, a small town or, or pay a parking ticket or something or like request permits. And I think some of those implications and, and impact of those services being unavailable are like probably hit much more close to home, not being able to like scroll my, my feed of photos or something like that. You're absolutely right. And having worked with municipalities of, of various types and stuff like that, looking, you know, trying to help them do the best that they can with the resources that they have. Cause they're again, just like the K 12 situation stuff, they're resource constrained and all. Yeah. If they get hit or when they get hit and it's going to have a, a lot more profound impact on uh, the mm -hmm. community around them than, you know, something else, you know, Garmin, I don't know how many millions of users that they have or whatever like that. Yeah. Huge inconvenience. That's it. Like, yeah, that's it. But when you're uh, you're unable to pay your power bill or your water bill or, you know, things get shut off because uh, within the, you know, 
And then when this pally, you know, we'll say all of a sudden water stops flowing and things like that. Now you start having a, not only just a quality of life, but you actually have a, you know, a potentially impacts to people's health and their lives due to the inability to, to have the water and stuff that they necessarily need. And that's where it gets really scary. You know, uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm concerned about every organization getting ransomware um, and things like that, but I'm more concerned about the ones that are going to have a, a greater impact. You know, if my power company yeah. gets, you haven't even talked about owned. like the potential of like that impact getting crossing the line into like connect impact or, you know, physical impact in the real world. Yep. That's a whole other terrifying conversation for a different day. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we've covered a lot, you know, today, but there, I, if you want to summarize it in, in a few words, it's let's have empathy, you know, let's, let's push for as much transparency as we can so that we can learn and not make the same mistakes over and over again, yeah. you know, because um, that's one of the things that on the ransomware side of stuff. Pretty sure most of these ransomware reports read exactly oh, for same. sure. I think also being humble too, and just like assuming that this could happen to any of us, and like no one, literally no one in the world is above this. So, no, it's 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 not a matter of yeah. if; it's a matter of when. And we don't like to think of it that way, but that's the reality of it. And you know, as practitioners in this industry, we have to try to spread the word that hey, like it's. <laughs> You're doing you're doing a good job. There's always stuff that you can improve on, and we're going to try to help you identify those things, um, so that you can sleep a little better at night. But at the end of the day, tech is hard. Tech is, tech is impossible. Speaking of tech being hard, I think we lost Ryan to mic issues, so I think it's on on Tim and I to close it out. But thanks for hanging with us. And I'm not even sure we can oh, yeah. close it out. We might just be here in purgatory for a while then. So uh, this is the the pre the twenty four hour pre show banter conathon. Just ramp right up to it. The twenty four hour, yeah, yeah. We just you know we're gonna go for a solid ninety six hours into that, and so no. Uh, but we think thank everybody for tuning in this week. Uh, we've had a good time hanging out, and uh, we will Bye, see you everybody. next week.